This is the Die Hards. Sale winds. He fires. Twenty and a miss. Frank Lee, it's over. The Red Sox have won the world championship. Tom Brady takes the snap, drops to the knee, and the Patriots have won their sixth Super Bowl title. The Die Hards start now on the Sports Map Radio Network. Here's Anthony Pepe and John Lyons. Welcome to the Diehards right here on the Sports Map Radio Network. Bobby Kravitsky alongside John Lyons. We come to you live from Boston, Massachusetts. And we've got John Belmer producing the show back at headquarters in Houston. John, we are going to dive into the NFL trade deadline tonight and some players we would like to see go to specific situations. But... One team, the Philadelphia Eagles, a Super Bowl contender, has already taken care of that for us. Yeah, we're talking about a team that's already undefeated, coming off a bye. They add Robert Quinn, who most recently we saw terrorizing the Patriots' offensive line on Monday night. And Robert Quinn's an interesting case because he's been in the league since 2011, spent most of his early career with the Rams, then one random year with Miami, another random year with Dallas. He's been with Chicago since. He had 18 and a half sacks last year. Now, that's a little bit of an aberration when you look over his last six years or so. He's mostly been in the single digits. He's only got one sack so far this year. But we're talking about a team that has Fletcher Cox, Derek Barnett. You add Quinn to that rotation. I mean, I think it's just the rich getting richer. Yeah, absolutely. And with Quinn, he came in, and him and Chris Long were one of the best edge-rushing tandems in the league when it was the yep. St. Louis Rams. Then he had injuries, and his career slowed down. Then he's revived it recently. He's talking about a 12-year career. Very impressive longevity yep. in the league. A three-time pro bowler who's been highly productive. And it was really just a matter. Robert Quinn getting dealt came down to his uh, – he had a large cap at, I believe off the top of my head, that it was $18.5 million for next season. So it came down to how much money were the Bears prepared to eat. And ultimately they felt like the Eagles made them a strong enough offer to get a deal. Yeah, and I think that's the key. Because if you're the Eagles, which, by the way, they still, despite all the moves they've made, they still have two first-round picks next year. Theirs and the Saints. I mean, they bring in a, uh, Brown, and they also bring in Quinn. It's just that team looks loaded, not just for now. And, and the Quinn move is more of a now move, but they look good for the future. And I just keep going back to you have a team that's undefeated in the NFC East, the strongest division in football right now. Who would have just thought? Got be- yeah, I know. And they just got better. Do you think the Eagles are done dealing, or there's more moves to make? I think they got more moves up their sleeve. I do, too. Howie Roseman, one of the most aggressive GMs in the NFL. I don't think they stop at Robert Quinn, especially because the price was not exorbitant. Stick with us here on the Diehards, because on the other side of this break, is there a quarterback controversy in New England? John and I break that down next. You're listening to the Diehards on the SportsMap Radio Network. Here's Anthony Pepe and John Lyons. You're listening to the Diehards right here on the SportsMap Radio Network. Bobby Gravitsky alongside John Lyons. We've got John Belmer producing the show. John, it is time to dive into the situation yeah. in New England. We talked about it at the start of last week on Monday. Since then, things have gotten a whole lot worse for New England. Yeah, uh, Zappy Fever seemed to get cured. But the problem was, not only did he not play well, Mac Jones looked awful early in that game. And I think, it's funny, there haven't been too many times since Bill Belichick took over as Patriots coach that we would describe something in that operation as a mess. The quarterback situation on Monday night was a mess. And it went from Mac Jones should have either played the majority or all of the game or not played at all. To go in for three series, play bad for three series, throw an interception, then get benched, and look, 
even if it was pre-planned, no matter what, you took him out after that interception, the perception is going to be he was benched because he was playing bad. And not just between me and you. Every fan in the stadium, all the other guys in the locker room, the coaches, and most importantly, Mac himself. That's what the perception is going to be. And I think they this is a big moment for the Patriots because they need Mac Jones to come out and play well this Sunday. And if he plays well, you can chalk up Monday night to one bad night of bad coaching, bad playing. But if he comes out and plays bad against the Jets, again, I, I still think they'll keep starting him. But it's all of a sudden you're in a really weird spot. So Mac Jones is not the quarterback who you want walking on the field to represent your team or in the photo shoot, as they say, or any of those situations. He's not the prototypical build far from it. He doesn't have these amazing athletic gifts or the arm of a Patrick Mahomes, for example. He certainly can't run like a Lamar Jackson or Michael Vick going further back. This is someone who really, he won off, yes, intelligence and accuracy, but in sharpening those skills, it was off of grit and a bit of that plucky, you know, can-do perseverance and fortitude. And this is someone who, even with all that he had going for him and as successful as he was last season in getting this team to the playoffs, he still had levels to go to really entertain they can win a Super Bowl with Mac Jones as their quarterback and feel good about that proposition. So for the Patriots to be playing around with his confidence, knocking him down a couple pegs, He might never recover, and if that happens, then as long as Bill Belichick, however many years he has left at the helm, he's captaining a rudderless ship. And we're talking about a quarterback in Mac Jones who had 3,800 yards passing last year, one of the better rookie seasons for a quarterback ever. And then he comes out this year, and look, the offensive changes with Matt Patricia and Joe Judge were not a fit for Mac Jones. It looked really bad early in the season. Then all of a sudden against Baltimore, it started to look good, and then in the second half he threw three picks. And then he goes down, Bailey Zappi plays well enough to win you a couple games, and he looked solid against Cleveland. But then they get to this weird, like, I still don't understand what their objective on Monday night was. Why play Mac at all if you're not going to play him the whole game? And if you're going to play Zappi, just play him the whole game. Because what happens is, or what happened, Saturday, Mac Jones got over 90% of the first team reps, yet he only played three series. Who was playing with the first team most of the game? It was Bailey Zappi who didn't get those reps. Like, to me, make a decision and play the guy. If Mac is not ready or you don't feel he's ready, wait till the week against the Jets. If you think he is ready, play him more than three series. And if he sucks, let him have some time to settle in. Like, don't get me wrong, Mac was bad Monday night, but they didn't really give him much of a chance to really settle in. And then, and then they pull him, and let's not forget, Zappi didn't play well either. So best-case scenario is that Mac Jones was pushing to play, and given the friction between him and the organization, they felt like it was appeasing him. Like, we're siding with you, we're going to let you play, but we also don't really think, based on what we're hearing from the medical team, that you're ready to go out there in full. So you're going to get some reps in the first half, and the plan was some in the second half, Belichick acknowledged. The problem with that is you can't bench him after the interception as the entire stadium or too many people in there are chanting for Bailey Zappi and just screaming his name out and they want the backup because then whether it was or wasn't and I believe it was it looks like he got benched the optics of that are just brutal and that's what I'm talking about with the perception because no matter what even if it was pre-planned it's going to be really tough to convince people it's pre-planned and I don't know how you feel about this but it seems like 
it's two different offenses. The Mac Jones offense is not the Bailey Zappi offense. Patricia calls it differently. It's not just called differently. It seems like different plays in some respects. It's just weird. And the what I don't understand is you have a group of plays, part of your system at least, that works well with Bailey Zappi. Well, Mac Jones is more talented than Bailey Zappi, and he's got a year of starting experience under his belt. Why wouldn't you mesh that stuff with Mac Jones? I don't get that. It's like they're trying to force Mac Jones to run other stuff. And to me, that's a sign of, like, I thought, look, I thought the two weeks with Zappi, Patricia and Judge did a good job. But what they're doing with Jones is just a sign to me of inexperience or of stubbornness. Because I just, I don't think Josh McDaniels would do this if he was no, in the same not situation. A I, I just don't see that. And so when Zappi was in and Mac was sidelined, we looked at it and said, well, hopefully, because Jones is trying to make something happen for this offense, been reckless, not taking care of the football, hopefully he can color at least a little more in the lines like Zappi's doing, see it work for Bailey, and, and apply some of that and tone it down just a bit. The problem is that they are, as you pointed out, and Kari Thompson from WEI detailed this in an excellent article today, that they are running two different offenses yeah. with these two different quarterbacks and making life easier for Zappi. And I think that part of the equation is trying to send a message to Mac Jones, and they've lost sight of how much they're motivated by one of those compared to the other. It's just, I don't understand what's happening. I don't know who Matt Patricia and Joe Judge think they are and how much Bill Belichick has empowered them to act this way, and then he is signing off on it happening. And to me, like like I said, you run the risk that Mac Jones does not bounce back from this. And given how the Patriots operate, that they're not the team to give up significant draft capital, whether it's to move up and select a potential franchise quarterback or go acquire an established veteran at the position, I don't know if they get back to contending with Bill Belichick at the helm if Mac Jones doesn't recover. Yeah, and I think that's why this week is so huge. I think over the next four weeks, because they have the Jets game, the Colts game, a bye week, Jets again. They need to not just win those three games, they need to play well. Because Mac Jones, right now, he's about at his low a point as he's been his whole career. When I say career, I'm talking high school, college, NFL. He needs to start climbing back up because once they reach the second half of that schedule, there's some big dogs there, and they need him to play well. Well, you're right, they're not going to contend. I mean, they have some good pieces on their roster. If their quarterback's not playing well, they're not going to contend. And I put a chunk of this on Mac Jones. But I also put a chunk on Patricia and Judge and the coaching he's gotten because, to your point, it's like things have been easier for Zappi. Which, look, it, Mac Jones had a system that worked for him last year. You wanted to make some changes. Now you see what works with Zappi. I still don't get why you can't mesh the things that worked for Jones last year and Zappi now into what you do with Jones now. I, I just don't get that. So they still have to play the Bills twice. They're at Minnesota, which yeah. you can think what you want about the Vikings, but that I game one, on, man. I'd have more confidence in them than what we're seeing from the Patriots so far. And they also played the Bengals. They're going to play Josh McDaniels and the Raiders out in the desert. And I look at the Patriots, and I think the postseason, that ship has sailed. Maybe they go on some kind of a run, but there's too many, as you said, big dogs left for them to me to believe that they're going to beat enough of those teams to get in. And so I look at it and say, at this point, really the only thing that matters is 
Mac Jones's development, getting that swagger back that his teammates talked about from him last season. And then he went into the offseason with that momentum, even after they got beat down in Buffalo, and he bulks up and he starts to change his body. And that gets you to buy in to this guy leveling up. He worked with Tom House, a legendary quarterback's coach, and it seemed like his arm strength was improving. And then to have the type of season where regression was anticipated, but it's worse than we expected, this is a major problem. It's the only thing that matters for the Patriots the rest of the season. Yeah, and you look at Mac Jones, if he – if he had played well earlier in the year, they probably beat Baltimore. Maybe they beat Miami. We're looking at a totally different scenario right now. So, like I said, I, I do put blame on Patricia and Judge, but they're not also throwing some of these bad picks that Mac. I mean, that interception was awful on Monday night. Like, that was one of the worst decisions of Jones's career. And those are the things, to your point, his development, that I want to see cleaned up between now and Thanksgiving, and then between Thanksgiving and the end of the season. I want to see those things clean up because if they're in the playoffs, great. If not, then they have to have something to show for the season. This is Mac Jones' second year. It's two years after they spent all that big money in free agency and had a more, quote, collaborative approach in the draft. So with all those things, now you're in year two, you've got to have some real deal development to show for it. That's what the season's all about now for the Patriots. Stick with us here on the Diehards when we return Rodgers face-planting with the Packers right now, and no turnaround in sight for Tom Brady. We'll dive into that next on the Sports Map Radio Network. You're listening to the Diehards on the Sports Map Radio Network. Here's Anthony Pepe and John Lyons. You're listening to the Diehards right here on the Sports Map Radio Network. Bobby Kravitsky alongside John Lyons and John. Yes, we've seen in the past from Tom Brady that when he is left for dead, he has at times rallied to win Super Bowls. Like in 2018, the Patriots lose in Pittsburgh to the Steelers. Everyone writes them off. They end up lifting the Lombardi at the end of the season. But once again, there's no turnaround in sight for TB12. And this time, given all the turmoil in his personal life, all the injuries to this Tampa Bay Bucks offense and how they are struggling, it just... It doesn't feel like this season's going to end on a positive note for the Bucks, And it's also Todd Bowles' first year being the head coach in Tampa Bay. And I know he was the coach with the Jets, but it's his first year coaching them. And the biggest thing that they have going for them is they play in the NFC South. I mean, they're 3-4 and four and still in first. But you look at that loss to Carroll, and they've been so wildly inconsistent. They score 31 against Casey. They lose, though, give up 41. Then they hold Carolina to 21, which in today's NFL is not bad. And they score three. They should, yet, have, they should win. Just holding off Carolina to 21 points and the defense wasn't great in that game, you should win. Yeah, and then week one, they beat Dallas 19-3. to It's like so they've been so wildly inconsistent. And the Pittsburgh loss to me was just really, really bad. But to your point about can they recover, I mean, I look at they, they play Baltimore tomorrow night. They still have to play the Rams, the, the suddenly good Seahawks, the 49ers, and the Bengals. I it's tough for me to see them winning the majority of those games. And maybe, like, I think they'll make the playoffs, but I don't see them lasting long. Yeah, I still think that they'll win the division because it's that bad. At the same time, it doesn't seem like they're in for a long stay in the playoffs. They have to deal with Lamar Jackson, who's as difficult as you can get when it comes to preparation for a short week. And then I don't think you can pick a player who's least interested in having a game overseas in Tom Brady, who then has to go to Germany. Yeah, which sucks. And what really opened my eyes when I was we were talking about this segment earlier and I was starting to look into it, 
they've played seven games this year. Now, Brady has 1,942 passing yards and eight touchdowns and one pick. Through seven games last year, almost 2,300 yards and 21 touchdowns. I mean, it's we're talking more than double the amount of touchdowns through seven games last year, 350 more yards. I mean, it's a massive drop-off for that offense and for him. And it's tough for me to see, like, it's, like that loss to Pittsburgh just stands out to me so much. And, and Carolina, they fire their coach, trade one of their best players, and they control most of the game. And those two losses back-to-back, you could make the case, are the worst two losses back-to-back since 2002 when the Patriots lost four in a row. We're literally talking 20 years ago. Yeah, I mean, when Mike Evans drops that wide-open oh. touchdown pass at the beginning Felt of the like game, they never recovered. You. Right, and, but when it happened, you laughed it off as, oh, like, that's cute, they'll be just fine, that's going to be a no harm, no foul situation, and it wasn't. And you bring up Brady's numbers last season. At this time a year ago, Tampa Bay was on track to have three 1,000-yard receivers. Right now, Mike Evans probably ends up there, but he's at 454 yards total for the season and battling through injuries. Chris Godwin does not look good. He only has 29 catches for 293 yards. Russell Gage, it really hasn't clicked for him in Tampa. So when we talk about trades in this next segment, the Bucks are a team to me that you probably don't have another year with Tom Brady, no matter what he says might happen. So I think you have to continue to push your chips into the middle of the table and sacrifice some draft capital because I still think the defense is good enough to win a Super Bowl, but this offense needs help. Yeah, and they're getting very little production out of the tight end position. Seems like they really miss Rob Gronkowski. Cameron Braid has 13 catches for 114 yards total. I mean, and they lost O.J. Howard too. And it seems like not having those two guys and the limited Chris Godwin, real. I mean, the only guy playing well on offense week in and week out is Leonard Fournette. It's the only guy, whereas when they were good, and I'm talking when they won the Super Bowl and we had such a he was like the bonus complimentary. Right. He's like, oh, and they have Leonard Fournette. Now it's like, oh no, we only have Leonard Fournette playing well right now. And I think that's so telling because then when they ran into a defense with a lot of speed in Carolina, they couldn't do anything. They had the one open pass to Mike Evans. Other than that, they couldn't do anything because they ran into a defense with a ton of speed. Yeah, the offensive line is struggling, and that compromises the Yeah, that the Ryan Jensen injury, by the way. Massive. Yeah. And now Gadecki is not expected to play tomorrow night. We'll see what happens there. So the line is struggling. Brady, he seems skinnier than ever and less and less interested in taking hits. So the Bucks, it just, to me, it feels like there's no turnaround in sight. And I feel the same way about the Green Bay Packers, yeah. who go to Washington. That's much like the Bucks going to Carolina. It should be a layup, and instead they fall flat on their face, quite literally in the case of Aaron Rodgers after the last play of the game. Yeah, and even worse for them than the Bucks is they play in a division that actually has a good team in the 5-1 and one Vikings, and I'm not a Kirk Cousins guy, but they are 5-1. and one. They've lost three straight, and let's not forget, they were in overtime Bailey's happy possession away from losing four in a row, and I keep going back to, whenever I think of the Packers, Aaron Rodgers' press conference after that Patriots win. And he was talking about how, well, we really had to win this one. It's their rookie third string. You really. And he almost seemed resigned to the fact that they weren't that good. And then they followed up with a loss to the Giants. And then another loss. And then another loss. You know, and then this loss to Washington. And it just seems like they had no plan to replace Devontae Adams. And nothing they've really done has worked on offense. The defense has played okay. But offensively, they've been abysmal. Yeah, Alan Lazard cannot be your number one wide receiver. No disrespect to him. Sammy Watkins, we know, struggles to stay healthy. And then you look at it, and 
it was such a perplexing strategy. We've talked about it a bunch since it happened, where it's one thing if you can't convince Devontae Adams to stay. But the pivot cannot be relying on the development of raw second-round pick Christian Watkins and then Romeo Dubs. Yeah. And you're left with a situation where, again, because we're talking about Rodgers and Brady, it's it feels like the year that Brady had where he's working with Kenbrell Tompkins and Aaron Dobson and Josh Boyce yeah. and names that people do not remember and don't need to concern themselves with. That's what's happening right now with Aaron Rodgers. And even if these guys develop into legitimate weapons for Green Bay, at what point does that happen and where is Aaron Rodgers at in his career if he's even still playing? Yeah, and you like A.J. Dillon and Aaron Jones are good running backs. It's not the same as having Devontae Adams on your team. It's just not. And you look at the Chiefs, and I know they still have Travis Kelsey, but they went out when they lost Tyreek Hill. They signed Juju Smith-Schuster. They had Miko Hardman already developing in their system. They had a real plan. It felt like the Packers were like, oh, crap, he really doesn't want to stay. And they just got rid of him, and they had no real plan because, look, Christian Watson's fine, but your point, raw second-round pick who went to an FCS North Dakota State. So he's going to take time to develop. And Matt LaFleur, who I think is a good or has been a good coach, why is they not adjusting better? Like, like part of no plan is on him, but, all right, you're seven weeks in and what you're doing is not working. Why are there not adjustments here? Like, I, I don't – and – the most telling stat of all for an Aaron Rodgers, the Packers are minus four in turnover dif- differential. I mean, that's coaching, that's Rodgers, that's everything. Yeah, they're not taking care of the football. The defense is clearly worse than a season ago. And then you talk about that lafleur rogers dynamic. Those two have traded words publicly through the press where they say, Rodgers, we can't win this way. We need to simplify it offensively, which is absolutely a shot at his young receiver's. Yeah, because they don't get fair it. Fair or not, and not a, not the right way for Rodgers to go about it. But clearly, he feels, one, I think there's a lack of care on his part about the situation. And secondly, like this is the only way to get through to Lafleur, who responds to those comments and says, I don't even know what that would look like or what that means. So Lafleur isn't about to make changes. And then you talk about Kansas City and how they lose Tyreek Hill, but look at what they're doing. Well, they've got Andy Reid and Eric Bieniemy scheming up plays that consistently, even when everyone knows that watch out for the decoy that clears out space for Travis Kelsey to get open, they can't stop taking the cheese on it. And then you look at what Green Bay's doing, and it's just it's not tailored to Aaron Rodgers' strengths, and it's clearly not helping out a bunch of receivers that need to be propped up. Yeah, and you just look at this Washington game too. They were up fourteen to three in that game. And they were outscored twenty to seven by Taylor Heineke. Yeah, it's cra- and the, the defense has given up I think six offensive touchdowns all season. And to your point, they haven't been quite as consistent as a year ago. Week one, they were abysmal. But I mean, if not for the defense playing great, the Packers probably lose to the Bucks. That was a fourteen to twelve game. It, it's this offense to me. It's just weird. I mean, I, the Patriots game, they kept just throwing these deep fade balls that they were not completing. It seems like they're not adjusting to. I don't know if Rodgers is into it. I mean, remember, he seriously considered hosting Jeopardy and not going back there. So how invested is he? Especially, And I think it's really telling that on the same day Aaron Rodgers agreed to come back, Devontae Adams still said, nope, I want out. On the same day, he said, I want out. I mean, it, you would think if one of the best quarterbacks in the league said, oh, I'm coming back, their top receiver would say, okay, I'm in. And he still said, nope, I'm out. And I think that speaks to a fracture within the Packers but also a frustration with Aaron Rodgers himself. Yeah, that Devontae Adams was willing to go. And when those two talked about last season being the last dance, who would have thought that was Devontae Adams actually saying, no matter what, 
I'm out. He can stay. I'm still chunking up the deuce. And when it comes to that Green Bay defense, just we don't have to dig too deep, but look at their performances. 23 points in the opener against the Vikings where they were flat, and for some reason they were leaving Justin Jefferson wide open all game to the point that Jefferson is questioning their strategy after the game. And then they play the Bears with Justin Fields, who he looked really good this you know Monday earlier this week, but at the same time, especially back then at the start of the season, just all he could do was run, and he wasn't getting it going. The Bucks, yes, they won 14-12, to but Tampa Bay didn't have any of their weapons yeah. and still scored a touchdown on the final drive of the game with a two-point conversion and a chance to force OT and had a penalty to make it even more difficult on themselves. So I don't know how effective they were in that one. 24 points to Bailey Zappi coming in off the bench. 27 to the Giants in a loss overseas. 27 to the Jets in a loss to Zach Wilson, who threw 16 passes. And now they lose to the Commanders. So the Packers don't look good. Neither do the Bucks. More of this next on the Diehards. This is the Diehards on the SportsMap Radio Network. Here's Anthony Pepe and John Lyons. You're listening to the Diehards right here on the SportsMap Radio Network. Bobby Kravitzki alongside John Lyons. John, NFL trade deadline comes to us on Tuesday. So before we get to the moves that we want to see come to fruition, let's start with the big trade that already happened, and that is the Niners swinging for the fences, giving up, multiple second and third round picks among other draft capital to bring in Christian McCaffrey. Yeah, and this is one of the most talented backs in the league, but he's had health problems the past two years. He has 431 rushing yards so far this year, two touchdowns, 38 rushing yards against KC, but of course, game got away from him in the second half. But uber-talented guy, I don't know how you feel, I still think it all comes down to Jimmy Garoppolo. Yeah, and I totally understand looking around saying there is not a quarterback that we need to save our chips for, whether it's to... To move up into the, well, you know, there's five quarterbacks that are really promising in the draft, and maybe if you believe enough in all five of them, but it's so early in the evaluation yeah. process and so many unknowns, I can understand that. And you have a veteran team, so I can understand not wanting to go in that direction. And then when it comes to veterans, I'm not sure who the big name that gets moved this offseason is. You know, maybe it's Aaron Rodgers. And so when it comes to the Niners looking around and saying, okay, we're stuck with. Garoppolo and Trey Lance coming off that nasty leg injury, and who knows where he's going to be at in his development. So it might just be another year with Jimmy G. And how do we prop him up? We've got uh, Debo and Ayuk and Kittle. So I guess that means we're looking for a running back, and Carolina's the natural target there with them having a fire sale. At the same time, no one gets more production out of unheralded running backs like Kyle Shanahan it's already the least valuable position in the NFL. So to pay this much for Christian McCaffrey, I don't love the move. To me, this is a Super Bowl move. If you win the Super Bowl and he plays well, I'll accept it. But let's say the obvious truth here. Jimmy Garoppolo did not play well in the Super Bowl a few years ago. He did not play well in the playoffs last year, and he's been wildly inconsistent so far this year. I mean, it felt like he forgot how to set protections against the Chiefs on Sunday. And if he doesn't play well... It's going to ruin a Super Bowl-caliber roster. I mean, they were a Jaquaski-Tard interception drop away from going to the Super Bowl last year, and Jimmy wasn't playing well. So if he doesn't play well, it's going to sink a roster that's good enough to win the Super Bowl, regardless of how well McCaffrey plays. So, yeah, I think it's a cool addition. I think he's going to play well, and he's, it's going to be exciting. But it's going to still come down to Jimmy. 
Yeah, th- there's no getting around it. And again, this it was all about making life easier for specifically Jimmy Garoppolo because who knows what the future holds for Trey Lance. And they're trying to win it right now. And the idea of having him and Debo and Kittle, even just in Ayuk too in terms of yards after the catch, is going to be a nightmare for defenses. And we'll see what Shanahan's able to cook up. And to the Niners' credit here, McCaffrey is not exclusively a running back. Right. He's someone who they can utilize like a wide receiver and take advantage of his abilities as a route runner, and he's got good hands. So that helps the matter. But like you said, this all comes down to what can Jimmy Garoppolo do for yeah. you in the playoffs? Yeah, and you look at the pieces on defense. You mentioned the weapons on offense, the coaching. To me, it's all good enough to win the Super Bowl. It just comes to, I mean, that's a good defense. Kittle's one of the best tight ends in the league. Debo Samuel might be the best weapon in the league. We all know how good McCaffrey is. It's going to come down to, can Jimmy play well? They even have the best left tackle in the league in Trent Williams. Can Jimmy play well? So, again, I think the McCaffrey, it's cool. It'll be fun. If they win the Super Bowl, it'll be worth it. But if not, it's kind of a waste. It's crazy to even ask the question about a team that's 3-4 and four and below five hundred. Are the Niners the second-best team now in the NFC? I think if Jimmy – again, I keep going back to this, but they they should be. And it comes – I mean, they lost to the Falcons. They had seven defensive starters out. I mean, once this team gets healthy, again, they're in the NFC Championship game last year. They're a really, really good football team, but now they got to put it together, and they got to get on a run. That second half against KC was really bad, and they got to bounce back and get on a run because I think they can be the best team in the NFC – but they got to put it together, and it starts with Jimmy. Exactly. And now let's talk about, let's play some armchair GM here, some trades that we want to see happen. So why don't you start? Give me the number one deal that you've cooked up. Jerry Judy from the Denver Broncos to the Green Bay Packers. Now, Jerry Judy is a very talented receiver out of Alabama, 23 years old. He's had a disappointing year for the 2-5 and five Broncos so far, though. Only 24 catches, 386 yards, two touchdowns. He is averaging 16.1 yards a catch. And he would walk in and be better than everyone else in the Packers receiver room. The best possible replacement out there I think they could have for Devontae Adams. So if I'm the Packers, I think it's a no-brainer. And if I'm the Broncos, I think this season is almost lost anyway. Maybe recoup some of that trade value you gave up for Russell Wilson. So we both had Jerry Judy on our list. And Jordan Schultz from The Score reported that the cost seems like it's either a second or a third round pick. And I love the idea of the Packers swinging big. A team for me that I would take a chance, the New England Patriots. If you can get Jerry Judy for a second or a third, to me, you reunite him with Mac Jones. That's probably something that your quarterback would love as you're trying to boost his confidence. And Jerry Judy is a potential number one wide receiver that hasn't lived up to the hype yet, and an injury certainly played a role in hurting his development. But at the same time, you have a chance to get on a rookie-scale contract your next number one wide receiver, someone who can be with the franchise for the foreseeable future, I think it's worth a swing. Yeah, and the thing about the Patriots receiver room, though, and, and I like the fit with Judy and especially Mac Jones, but they would at that point they would probably have to move on from Correct. Nelson Aguilar, trade him away. And I, th- I think Bourne is gone. Maybe Kendrick Bourne as well, right? Because if Judy, if they were going to get Judy, well, you still have Tyquan Thornton, you have Devontae Parker, you have the two tight ends. Ramondre Stevenson looks like the best player on the offense. You got to keep him on the field. So then I go to. Well, you probably got to move on from Aguilar and maybe Bourne as well. So if they're willing to do that, then I like Judy. And again, you're right. He hasn't lived up to it yet. Maybe a fresh start, better health. He could be a legit number one receiver. And then the guy who's at the top of my list, I told you this off the air not long before we went on, 
Brian Burns to the Eagles was a trade I wanted to see happen. Yep. I mean, to me, this Philly is the best team in the NFC, but the second best team in the NFL, in my opinion, behind the Bills. And the defense is certainly really good. But if you get a stud pass rusher like Burns in the mix, and if they could ever find a way to have done it, only parting with one first-round selection, I would have been all for it. Howie Roseman, instead, he gets Robert Quinn, saves some ammunition. Perhaps there's more deals to come for the Eagles. So I look around, and I still think, first off, Carolina and Panthers fans, you should not trade Brian Burns. I agree. But looking around at teams who should be absolutely calling and inquiring and seeing if they can get Burns and only give up one first-round pick plus some change to make it happen, and I look around, and it's hard to come up with oh, it's definitively this team above all others because the value there is so steep in getting a young, franchise-changing, defensive disruptor like Brian Burns that I I would say most of the league should be in on this I think there would be 31 teams that would want Brian Burns. And you mentioned the Philadelphia Eagles. The New York Giants, I mean, if you put him, that's another team that's 5-1. and one. The Green Bay Packers, if they don't want to go get Jerry Judy, they could, I mean, any contending team, except maybe the Bills, could really use him. If I'm the Rams, especially with Von Miller gone, I think I make that call, yep. try to get him. So that's, The Bengals, too, is another one. The Bengals. Trey Hendrickson's banged up right now. Yep. That, that's a guy that, like I said, 31 other teams could want him, but any contender not named the Bills, I think should be considering trying to go get Brian Burns. Absolutely. And then who do you have next up on your so list? So the next trade is actually among two teams that just played each other. Roquan Smith, linebacker for the Bears. I think the Patriots should do whatever they can to get him. Right now he's 25 years old, just entering his prime. He's leading the NFL with 78 tackles, has two and a half sacks, two interceptions. We're talking about one of the best middle linebackers in the NFL. And the Patriots defense over the last 20 years, when they've been good, they've had three things. They've had at least one great corner. They've had at least one great defensive tackle and a great middle linebacker. And right now, they've gotten great cornerback play. I think defensive tackle, Bamor's played okay. He's been out a couple weeks, but he could be good. But their linebacker play has been atrocious. And I think if you get Roquan Smith, that's the next on to Hightower, the, the, Aaron, the, the Teddy Bruschi, that legacy of these great linebackers. That's the guy. And I think he's perfect for any defense, but especially one that has a lot of talent on the back end. We'll ask him to come up and fill the run because, let's face it, they haven't done that very well at all. And I don't think quarterbacks are going to do a lot of design runs if they have to run at uh, Roquan Smith and Juwan Bentley. Exactly. So I, I think, to me, of I would even put that maybe ahead of Judy to the Packers given that the Patriots season is so on the line right now. John, I, I love that possibility of the Patriots acquiring Roquan Smith because it's abundantly clear – They need to get better against the run. They're not getting enough from their linebackers, and they need to get more athletic in really the front seven in its entirety, but especially that linebacking unit and being able to defend some of these horizontal options better. So Roquan Smith, to me, you plug him into the middle of that defense. It does a lot for New England. I'm going to stick on the offensive side of the ball. Last on my list, Brandon Cooks, Mr. Thousand Yards a Season, Texans legend. I... There are two different teams here who I put above the rest when it comes to going out and acquiring him, and one of them is a familiar face to him, Tom Brady, who yeah. you know, a 1,000 yards with the Patriots in his one season here. They go to the Super Bowl. If he doesn't get knocked out, maybe, maybe they, they win. win it, even though it's more about defense not getting stops than offense struggling to put points on the board far from it. But at the same time, this Bucks offense, they need a jolt. We talked about them in the last segment. It's not clicking with Russell Gage. 
go get Brandon Cooks and be able to stretch the field further and help out the likes of Mike Evans and Chris Godwin. I think Jerry Judy is the best receiver possibly to get traded. I think Cooks is a close second. And Cooks has been around so long, it feels like he's 35. He's 29 years old. Isn't that insane? Still, I know. It's crazy. Still in the prime years. Again, if I'm any team in need of a wide receiver, I'm calling the Texans. I mean, this is Green Bay. Him fitting in Green Bay would be awesome. Him, Really, he could go anywhere and fit. And he's shown an ability because he's played on, what, four different teams now, he can pick up new systems quickly and be really productive. First year in New England, 1,000 yards. Good early on for the Rams. So good for the Texans early on. So I love the thought of Brandon Cooks, and I would love to see him go back to a contender because I think he's an awesome player. Yeah, and then you nailed it there where he's a safe bet, and he's not going to be that costly in terms of what you have to give up yeah. to acquire him. So the other team on my list – the Baltimore Ravens. You're neck and neck with the Bengals yeah. who are starting to hit their stride. You're both four and three. So if you can give Lamar Jackson a deep threat to make up for losing Hollywood Brown in the offseason, I think that goes a long way for the Ravens' chances in the postseason. Another team the Rams should call, too. I mean, I, I know he's been there before. He's been in McVay's system, been successful. They have not been the same without Robert Woods or Odell Beckham over the past couple of years. Other trade I had, Falcons corner Casey Hayward who's allowing 76.4% completion percentage this year. Pretty good. Getting traded to the L.A. Chargers. He spent five seasons there. They just lost J.C. Jackson for the rest of the season due to injury. This is a team that I know they've been inconsistent, but they have a lot of the pieces to contend. And I think if you go out and get Hayward, hopefully it wouldn't be too costly because he's a little bit older now, but he can give you another three or four months of good play. It could fill that J.C. Jackson void for the rest of the season at least and get them maybe back to – a contention level that they should be at. Yeah, Hayward was a pro bowler in his time with the Chargers originally. He comes back for another stint there. I love that idea. And I also think that, yes, they did invest in this team in the offseason and then didn't play particularly well so far this season. But at the same time, I think when you make a significant move around the time of the trade deadline – I think that does give your locker room a jolt. And this is one that's in need of being resuscitated, especially with the J.C. Jackson injury and him not being able to contribute before it got bad and then it gets worse with him on the health front. I think this is a team Keenan Allen has struggled to stay healthy. He finally came back this weekend. This is a team that needs some positive news, and this is one way to deliver that. Yeah, and they invested, to your point, to be a contender this season. They went out and got J.C. Jackson. They got Khalil Mack. They have Herbert now fully along in his development. This is a team that should be capable of winning the AFC West or at least coming very close and being a high wild card seed. And they've just been so inconsistent this year. And I think with J.C. Jackson out, Asante Samuel Jr. has played well. But you need that other guy. You've got to fill that void. And I think Hayward can do it at least for the next few months. At the moment, the Chargers, they are second in the AFC West, but 4-3 and three and not playing anywhere close to those Super Bowl expectations that many people had for them yeah. entering the season. Stick with us here on the Diehards in hour number two. We're going to talk about everything from the college football playoff, including whether or not John think the top four teams in the rankings deserve all four spots in the playoff. We're going to talk about the World Series, of course, and dive into matters on the hardwood. Lots of NBA chatter coming up in hour number two, and you're listening to the Diehards right here on the Sports Map Radio Network. <laughs> This is the Diehards on the SportsMap Radio Network. Here's Anthony Pepe and John Lyons. You're listening to the Diehards right here on the SportsMap Radio Network. Bobby Kravitsky alongside John Lyons. We come to you live from the Pepe compound in Boston, Massachusetts. We've got John Belmore producing the show back in Houston. John Lyons, 
Do everyone a favor. If they're not up to speed on it, let them know where they can find you on social media. I'm on Twitter at the Real John Lyons, also host of the Straight Facts Homie podcast, writer for the New England Football Journal, and a pleasure, as always, to be hosting on Sports Map Radio Network. John, the pleasure is all mine, and I speak for the listeners when I say that as well. And for me, you can find me on Twitter at Bobby Kravitsky. Not the easiest last name, so I'll spell it out for you. That's K-R-I-V is in Victor, I-T-S-K-Y. Also cover the Celtics for SI Media. I host right here on these airwaves every week, and I also host on the Believe Network. So you can check me out there. Easy way to catch all my content, though, on Twitter, at Bobby Kravitsky. Appreciate the follow, and don't be afraid to say hello either. John, my question to you, we teased it just a little bit, but that AFC North race is really starting to get good between Baltimore and Cincinnati, both teams now 4-3. and When you look at that and you see how well the Bengals are starting to play and the Ravens, if you believe in winning ugly, that's certainly what happened Sunday when they squeaked it out and held on at the end to survive a scare from the Browns. Who do you have more confidence in winning this division? Right now it's actually the Bengals. And I know the Ravens beat the Bengals, but at that point the Bengals were not playing well, and it took a walk-off field goal for the Ravens to actually win that game. So I have a little bit more confidence in the Bengals because what I've seen over the last week is the team that went to the Super Bowl last year. I hadn't seen that really yet, but I saw that again last weekend. And if that can keep going, I think they're better. Yeah, maybe it's in the Joe Burrow Bengals DNA that they heat up later on in maybe. the season. And that, that's what I see happening from them right now. I think when they play Baltimore, last game of the year in Cincinnati, I think they win it. I think the Bengals take the division. Stick with us here on the Diehards. Hour number two kicks off with hockey and college football talk. And that's going to be up next on the Sports Map Radio Network. Mm-hmm.